Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Earlier this month, the House voted to pass a resolution that denounces socialism. All Republicans voted for the bill, as well as roughly half of the Democrats. And Congresswoman Maria Salazar was a sponsor of that resolution. NTD's Melina Wisecup spoke with her to learn more. Congresswoman Maria Salazar from Florida, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I first want to talk about immigration. You obviously just had a bill passed on socialism. A lot of the reason why many people are coming to the United States is to flee socialism. Now we see Democrats trying to separate the issue of immigration from border security. What is your reaction to that? Well, socialism is the most important threat the most existential threat that this country faces at this hour. This has nothing to do with political parties. You could be a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent and repudiate the horrors of socialism. And that was the nature of my bill, the horrors of socialism. So if you're a Democrat, I do not understand why 109 Democrats did not vote against uh, Stalin, Mao, Fidel Castro, Chavez. We know, we know what they have done to their people. So as a Cuban-American from Little Havana, uh, daughter of political refugees, people that do know that regardless of what the theory says, the practice is miserable. That's why I am here in Congress, because those uh, constituents put me here, people that do know the horrors of socialism, and that's why I brought that bill to the floor. And it's inconceivable that more than 100 Democrats said no to the horrors of socialism, and that is the problem in this country. And you know Biden's uh, immigration policy, he's expanded humanitarian parole for people coming from different countries to try to help them get out of those tough situations. visas for Cubans, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, and Haitians. And that is great for those people, but that's just a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid for this very major wound that is, that is bleeding, so which is immigration. Is immigration reform is what we need. Immigration reform, put an end to the border. No more fentanyl, no more child sex traffickers, no more disorder at the border. Seal it and then take care of the people who are here. So that's my bill. My bill is called the Dignity Act. It's not amnesty, it's dignity. Do you think the president plays a big role in sending a message of America's stance on socialism? Of course. In because what way it's not Biden him. It's not him. It's the people around him. The people around him are neo-Marxists, and that's a big problem. How there are two examples that I can think of. Uh, the the balloon. He gave the order to shoot it down on Wednesday, and it happened on Saturday. Since when the commander in chief says, "Hey, do something on Wednesday," because I believe, and it's proven, the empirical evidence right there says it, that he may not be in charge. Because if he were to be in charge, then his orders are fulfilled the moment he says. And, and with, a, with this, a balloon that, that is spying on behalf of China. I don't have to explain to you what that is. Now the border, Venezuela, when he cut off oil from Russia, one of his national security advisors went to talk to Maduro in Venezuela. Maduro has destroyed, the Chavez revolution has destroyed Venezuela in 20 years. That's what we don't want to happen in this country. So once again, national security advisors, the bureaucrats, the, the officials that are around the President Biden, most of them have shown that they are socialist or that they like the socialist practices. Very anti-American. 
What do you think Biden should have done differently over the past two years then with regards to how the U.S. deals with China and other social uh, authoritarian regimes? Well, the former uh, GOP president, he established the rules of the game with China. He explained that China, you cannot continue stealing our intellectual property. You cannot do this baloney uh, game. You need to respect the rule of law. You cannot continue killing the Uyghurs. You know, you if you want to play ball and trade with the United States, then you have to behave accordingly. But that is not the message that this administration is sending to China or to the border. The border is in the hands of the executive. Immigration is in the hands of the White House. Look at what's happening. We cannot have any more kids dying of fentanyl, but Congress is sending the message, do something, Mr. President. And let me say something else. I represent the Hispanics, largest minority in the country, and I'm sending the message loud and clear that the Hispanics do not want an open border. We want order at the border and then take care of those who are here contributing with the economy and give them dignity, not amnesty or citizenship, which is different. Thank you, Congresswoman. All right. But what is next for the pro-life movement? We saw the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. at the end of January, the first one since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade last year. What are the goals of the movement now? To discuss, we spoke to Jason Jones, president and founder of the Vulnerable People Project. Here's a look at our fascinating discussion. Jason Jones, thank you so much for joining us. It's a privilege to be with you. Jason, if you could just give us an idea, what is the current state and the trajectory of the pro-life movement post-Roe? Well, the pro-life movement is clearly the largest, most passionate and diverse social movement in the history of the United States. And it was ordered, it had ordered itself towards overturning Roe versus Wade since Roe. And with Dobbs now, it, it's, it's looking for a new direction. And, but it's, it's more diverse than ever. And some of the enthusiasm, I'm a traditional pro-life advocate. I'm a conservative Catholic. But the, the most passionate energy now is coming from the left. And this is going to be very dis disruptive uh, to the Democrat Party. So uh, it's going to have to retool. We're going to have to move to the states as we march to protecting life from biological beginning from Maine to Maui. But my prediction is in the next 10 years, uh, finally, uh, for the first time since our founding, without contradiction, we will live out the true meaning of the Declaration principle of defending life um, in this country. If you could just give us a little bit of a background as to when and why you got involved in the pro-life movement. Yeah, you know, I started in the pro-life movement the way most people do. Uh, I was ambushed by abortion. I was 17 years old. I was in basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia. It was a Sunday morning, and I had pots and, bands, pots and pans detail. I was in the kitchen doing KP detail, and a friend came running in and said, your girlfriend's on the phone and she's crying, and I ran out and answered the phone. And her father, she was hiding the pregnancy from her father, but he found out. We were gonna tell him when I got back from basic training, which would be just, it was gonna be in two weeks from when I got this call. But her father found out, and he beat her up, and he dragged her to get a forced third trimester abortion. My mother had me at 16. I didn't grow up going to any church. I'd never been to church a day in my life. I knew nothing about politics. It was before 24-hour news cycles, and it was before the internet. I did not know that in our country you could destroy a child in the womb until I found out that my child had been destroyed. And so for me, that was startling. And from that day on, I had sort of just been addled by the idea that children are exposed to violence without legal protection. Now, the uh, Supreme Court's investigation into the leaked draft opinion that caused quite a stir throughout the country 
came, came up short on, on finding out uh, who exactly leaked that. Uh, wh what, what are your thoughts? I mean, my thoughts are that they come up short. Are they going to come up short on all these documents that are uh, we're finding all over Biden residences that are accessible to uh, foreign agents? Uh, there's a two-tiered system. Uh, we have a Domini status as conservatives in this country, and it's startling, and I hope with the new House there are going to be investigations. Uh, it's, it's clear, you know, that, that justice holding the scales um, is peeking behind that blindfold, and I think we need to pull that blindfold down. Do you have any suspicion as to who it might have been? I don't. Okay, fair enough. I just want to switch gears. You did just touch upon the, uh, the CCP. You're also involved in uh, not just the pro-life movement, but a lot of human rights work, specifically when it comes to China. Uh, tell us about this. Yeah, you know, our organization, the Vulnerable People Project, it's, it works to protect the vulnerable from the child in the womb to children in um, East Turkestan and Xinjiang. That are in, their fathers are in concentration camps and they're being brutalized. We work around the world. Uh, right now, uh, the CCP has seven Catholic bishops who have been disappeared. They've been sent to black prison sites. Uh, these bishops have been disappeared and sent to prison for doing such horribly, horrible and menacing things like providing children with education, caring for disabled children, and it's really a scandal. And it's also been scandalous that as, as a Catholic, our Pope and our bishops and the USCCB and the hierarchy of the churches has really been silent to the crimes of the CCP. And as I said, that Roe versus Wade was, was a pillar of the culture of death. The CCP is really a menace. It's a menace not just in China. The first victims of the CCP are the people of China, followed by the people of Tibet, the people of Xinjiang, and now Taiwan is being harassed, Hong Kong is being trashed, um, and the CCP is threatening our church around the world. It has corrupted our bishops with this secret deal uh, we don't know what the terms of the deal are between the Vatican and the CCP, but clearly one of the terms is silence on its abuses, not just of Catholics, but of Muslims like the Uyghur. And so our organization is, was founded, I founded it over 20 years ago, to advocate for the most vulnerable people in the world, to harness really the power of the pro-life movement in the United States, and to direct it to other issues that are like and commensurate to abortion, issues like genocide and democide. And the CCP has been the greatest it is more responsible for more deaths than any regime in world history. You can think of the famine, the cultural revolution, the one-child policy. We still have forced abortions across China, um, the abuses in Tibet and Xinjiang. And so defeating the CCP, to me, is really an important next step as we try to move our world toward a culture of life to leave to our posterity. Jason Jones, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.